The screw tape letters. Letter 10. Friends in low places. Welcome, everyone, to Pints with Jack, your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to his nephew, a demon named Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. And this week, you get the duel of Andrew and myself, which is just going to be so much fun. Actually, Andrew, it's been a pretty good bit since you and I have recorded together. I know. I miss that. That's one of the highlights of my semester. It certainly isn't all the homework that I've had to do. So <laughs> it's great to spend some time with you again. And we are recording this on, is it, is, does C.S. Lewis pass away today or is it tomorrow? Yeah. So the way today in the Episcopal Church in America is the lesser feast of C.S. Lewis. Yep. And uh, the way they determine the day, uh, their sainthood begins the day that they die, not the day that they're born. And so their promotion to the heavenly kingdom is the saint's day. And of course, today, the 22nd of November, 1963, uh, in fact, the same day within a couple of hours as John Kennedy's assassination and ironically, the death of... Um, of Aldous Huxley, the author of Brave New World. So today in church is not only Christ the King Sunday, the last Sunday before Advent, but it's also the lesser feast of C.S. Lewis in the Episcopal Church. And why don't I begin us with a prayer that we have from that prayer book. That'd be beautiful. Oh God of searing truth and surpassing beauty, we give you thanks for Clive Staples Lewis, whose sanctified imagination lit fires of faith in young and old alike. Surprise us also with your joy and draw us into that new and abundant life, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, I wish that your listeners could see what I'm holding up right now. Um, uh, you and I just talked about it a little bit before the show, and I've posted on social media uh, about it, but uh, my friend, the wonderful iconographer Christine Hales, has just completed a commission that I uh, made through the generous gift of a friend, um, and so I'm holding up uh, an icon of C.S. Lewis that she just completed, and will in the show notes will include um, will include a link to her page. So if you know somebody who is as as mad about Lewis as we are, um, there's a you can order a print and probably get that delivered by Christmas. And Trust me when I say, guys, that Andrew, the scholar he is, and knowing the intricacies, the beauty of Lewis's theology, worked all of that into the details of this icon. From the emphasis on love, to the cross, to Aslan, Narnia, it all works its way into it in very specific ways. So I can't wait for you guys to check that out. Christine's done marvelous things, and you could browse her page. She's done a number of commissions. She's got a number of saints, um, and uh, her real sensitivity to the Lord and to being used by God and her delight in, in writing this icon uh, and her delight in Lewis, which is a thing that she and I also share. Uh, beautifully photographed by her husband, the British garden photographer, Michael Hales. And so uh, just a, a joy to have on this this good day. And a joy to sit with you, man, and to dive into this letter. Man, this is one that I love. God, this is going to be a fun one uh, on friendship, relationships, the roles that those can play in our lives, and how we navigate them. Because we know what I really like about this, and it's a quote that I've always said, is we are the average of the five people we spend the most time around. So friendships we need to be intentional with them. But then as we'll see, we're going to be constantly interacting with people in life of different values in our own. And so as we're going to talk about at the end of this letter, how do we balance that when sometimes people could are really good people, but there's a chance that they could pull us down. I hate to say it that way, but, and you have to think through that, how what's happening to your own heart when you're around people, but at the same time you want to evangelize. So there's going to be a, a great conversation here that's going to spur from this letter. I'm, I'm looking forward to your insights because listeners, Andrew, these were questions I, I posed to him right before this and we didn't get into any discussion. So we're going to have some very fresh thoughts. Absolutely. Well, no, it's, it's, it's great fun to, to dive in. And 
I think that it's worth keeping in mind that for most of Lewis's life, I mean, romance came to him very late. He remarked to his friend Neville Coghill that he was surprised to find in his 60s the happiness that passed him by in his 20s. And of course, he was talking about uh, Joy Davidman and his late romance with her. Um, but that love came late. Uh, he had a troubled family life, um, whether with his father and his mother dying young. He had a, an interesting relationship with Warney. They were close, but but Warney struggled with some things. It, definitely some issues with his father. Def, definitely some issues with Mrs. Moore, who he called his mother. And so Storgi was not a reliable love. The most reliable love in Lewis's life was friendship. And I think that's why he writes so eloquently about it. Well, I can't wait to get in. But before we do, I wanted to share a review that we got on iTunes recently because one, I really enjoyed it. Two, it brings up your favorite book, the best book of C.S. Lewis. <laughs> Lewis's favorite book too. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, and three, it has a really funny ending to it. So uh, individual, J.C. Boyne is how I'm going to put the name said, I'm really happy that I stumbled upon this show. I appreciate the personal connections the hosts make and enthusiasm for a writer that contributes so much to sound thinking through beauty. I do wish they were a bit better about spoiler warnings to the other Lewis works being discussed. I'm in the middle of Till We Have Faces while listening to Screwtape episodes, and there are numerous mentions <laughs> of Till We Have Faces. I have to yank up my earphones. No harm done. Love the show, guys. <laughs> I appreciated that because, yeah, we, as we're going through it, we reference books that, because we've talked about Mere Christianity, Great Divorce, Until We Have Faces, we're going to constantly reference previous books. Um, so one, we apologize Uh Hopefully, as you hear us like say, oh, remember Mere Christianity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would do spoiler alerts, but unfortunately, we probably reference the book so frequently. I, that would probably get annoying to some of our uh, listeners who have been with the beginning. But still, we really appreciate the review. Absolutely. Thank you. And also, you know, I think that he brings up a really fascinating point. And he was probably being mindful of Aristotle, as you were as well. Right, Matt? When you read that, you were thinking about oh, of course. the Aristotelian. An Aristotelian draw of tragedy in the poetics. That's exactly right. I wasn't um, sure if there's some so Socratic method in there or not, but you know, we'll, we'll go with Aristotelian. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, so Aristotle says, so remember that when folks went in, in Athens in the, in the golden age in 500 BC, when folks went to the theater to see Oedipus, they already knew the end of the story, right? They didn't go for a surprise. And so there were no spoiler alerts. In fact, they go, went in knowing how the tragedy went. And part of the joy of that is seeing how they're going to get there. That really anxious thing. It's like the second time you watch Sixth Sense, right? Spoiler alert, Bruce Willis is dead, right? And I didn't get that until the very end. Once you know that, you watch the whole thing differently. And so Aristotle says the draw of tragedy is knowing where the end is, and that creepiness of going, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, when Romeo and Juliet, you know, it's like, wait one second. She's about to wake up. Don't don't drink the poison. Um, that draw of tragedy of knowing how it's going to go in my mind. But my heart, if the art is good, my heart wanting to go a different way. And so that's my elaborate and intellectual and Aristotelian apology for the spoilers. Um, even knowing how it's going to go with a real great work of art, especially one like Till We Have Faces, um, won't take away from it. And in fact, will heighten your reading. And Lewis also said that if a book is worth being read once, it's worth being read many times. And so I don't mean to spoil those books for you, um, but, uh, but I look forward to, 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 to you and all of our readers as we read these works again and again throughout our lives. And Screwtape certainly is an excellent example of this, isn't it? Oh, so much. And uh, speaking of The Sixth Sense, my one little side story here of showing my ignorance of movies and stuff. So I'd never seen it. And I was at a, a uh, conference type event and happened to be in the section where M. Night Shyamalan is sitting. And so I'm mm -hmm. sitting like two seats down from him and we had to do a little breakout session and so I start talking to him for about 30 minutes or so. But the, the thing about this is I don't know who he is. And so <laughs> <laughs> we're just chatting and we're talking about is like a leadership thing and how do you get over fears and stuff. And so I said, yeah, what do you do? Introductions and stuff. He's like, my name's Knight. Literally went over my head. And uh, he goes, well, I'm an artist uh, and I've just lost my creative spark. I was like, okay, so he's a painter or something. Um, uh -huh. And so we started chatting, and then I shared some of my stuff. And uh, the next day, someone goes, do you know who you were talking to yesterday? I said, no. 
He goes, M. Night Shyamalan. I go, who is that? He goes, have you ever seen The Sixth Sense? And then he lists off like four of his movies. I go, I've never even heard of those movies. So then I went on an airplane on my ride home from this. This was in New York when I was still in San Diego. And I downloaded The Sixth Sense and watched it. And so I was like, oh huh, that's the guy. Because he also was always in his movies in like a specific right, right, right. So I was like, oh, hey, there he is. Um, so that was my one oh. encounter with M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, my gosh. We did not exchange numbers and I don't keep in contact with him. <laughs> did you get a picture? No. Well, I didn't know again no. at the time. See, I went to a movie premiere in Houston and uh, the star had a little Q&A with the, um, with the director afterwards. And then she went a little for a little meet and greet. Mm-hmm. And I stopped her on the way. She was sitting right by me. And uh, it was Tilda Swinton. Oh. It was the White Witch. Wow. And I said, hey, Tilda, you know, I've, I, I know Douglas Gresham a little bit. And she's like, oh, dear Douglas, wonderful man. How is he? And so I got a little picture with the White Witch. Whenever I showed that to my students, they're like, you're a creepy man and don't offer me any Turkish delight. <laughs> you fell for the Turkish delight. <laughs> I did. I did. Hey, so what's the title of our letter this week? Yeah, Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks, which I can claim to know this song. I love Garth Brooks. Well, I love him too, but I also spent some time in Nashville. That's, this is another celebrity run-in. Uh, Bud Lee is the songwriter of I Got Friends in Low Places. And when I was a waiter in the early 90s in uh, in Nashville, late 80s, early 90s, I waited on Bud a bunch of times. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't serve him any whiskey or any beer. <laughs> was he sitting enjoying a beer with a friend in a low place or no? I don't know, but he got the tacos a lot. <laughs> so I love it. Yep. For the quote of the week, what I chose, very straightforward, very simple, but I thought it was profound wisdom. He will be silent when he ought to speak and laugh when he ought to be silent. When we get to this in the letter, what I, what I liked about it was I have been in those circumstances where I'm around individuals and because of not, honestly, because of wanting to be accepted, wanting to be loved, you don't, you stay silent when someone says something that you clearly should be countering because it's it's just not a good thing to be said. Or you laugh at something that really was inappropriate and you shouldn't laugh at it because you just don't know how to end the situation. I thought that's very relatable. I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this has been in a circumstance like that at one time or another. It's, you know, it's a compromise. It's mm-hmm. it, And it's hard to live as lights in this world. And it's hard to stand up for for those things, you know, especially... When the thing that you believe in is not expedient to the people that you're around. And, you know, I find this often enough. And certainly as a future priest, you know, it's going to, I'm going to get painted with that brush. And how do I, how do I lean into those situations appropriately? It's hard. And, uh, and I'm, I'm glad that Lewis has, uh, has offered us a little bit of wisdom about that. Mm. Well, for the drink of the week. I am going to be drinking Monkey Shoulder, which is a blended malt scotch. Our first blends since we started okay. because of the kits that I sent us all. Those were all single malt, I believe. Yep. Yeah. Well, we actually did a blend um, before. I believe you have done a blend. At least David has. You've had Bat 69, which is a blend. Yes. And not a very good one. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's serviceable. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about your scotch. What's, what's it like? Well, so interesting enough, guys, when it says a blend, it's made from single malt, but it's a blend of three different distilleries. This one is. And from what I was able to gather a little bit online is it's very malty, very creamy. Okay. And so as I smell it, it does smell different. Like it's less harsh in your nose, which I think is that malty creaminess takes away the alcohol sharpness that you might get in a single malt. Yeah. Well, and I'm looking at your nose or at your notes and the nose sounds like something out of Starbucks. So does it smell like cocoa and malt and vanilla and nutmeg and cinnamon? Sounds like a very seasonal Starbucks. Drink. <laughs> it's pretty much a pumpkin spice latte. Uh, okay. Oh, no, <laughs> no. I made a vow that that would enter this podcast. <laughs> it, I will say they're very subtle but it's the most it's ever smelled like a cocoa or a vanilla that I've had. It still smells like scotch. So, I mean, there's yeah. still, it's, it's still hitting your nose, but yeah. Well, let me try the palate now. Okay. Well, and while you're drinking this, I'm drinking Cull Ela 12 that you sent me. 
because I'm down in Florida now recording this and I could only bring a, a small array of scotches. I had to leave behind my Lagavulin 16, which kills mm. me. So how's the palate? How's it finish? Very creamy. Okay. And I've never actually experienced creamy before. I've had oily, mm. which actually isn't the mm -hmm. Coila, the one that's oily. Or am I wrong with that? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, think I remember right. that correctly. And so this is different when I when I say creamy versus oily. Um, okay. It's it means it's not as harsh. And I actually and harsh isn't the right word because it makes it sound like the single malts are harsh, they're very smooth, but it's mm -hmm. just not quite as distinct. I guess is what I would say. Sharp, I think, is how they talk about it on the Great British Bake Off. <laughs> That's right? a, that is the way to do it because that doesn't come with negative connotations like harsh does. Yeah. Yes, and it is a medium length. I definitely would agree with that. I don't get the hint okay. of peppermint on the tail. I wish I did. You know, you might want to try a drop of water in there. You're right. Yep. It's this is the irony of our of our age. Um, we're on Squadcast looking at each other doing this while we're while we're recording this, uh, the audio of it. And I'm like, man, I wish he could just send me a little of that scotch in the in the chat box, you know, uh, <laughs> so that I could taste it. But yeah, no such luck. Well, here's the Koila. Oh, I have to. Yeah. Well, I have to say this. So this is what yeah. it said online overall. Some say it tastes like riding bareback <laughs> on the wild moors of Scotland with a flamed-haired maiden on Christmas morning. Others agree it tastes like 007 wearing a tuxedo wetsuit. <laughs> Some of these descriptions. Oh gosh. I will say wow. it is good. I actually very much enjoy this. I would totally okay. sip on this for a natural. I, again, without the sharpness, you're not getting quite the beauty of a Lagavulin or Macallan, but it's definitely one I mm -hmm. would just pour and sip on. Okay. Well, and you said that you got this from, uh, was this a gift or something? How did you come across this one? Yes, it's an advent calendar. So technically I would be drinking one of these. They're literally just one drink little containers. I would drink one every single day mm -hmm. of advent. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to use this for a chance to have 25 more scotches over the next 25 recordings I do <laughs> that are diverse. So it'll always be a diverse scotch going forward from my side because of this advent calendar. Okay, so you're starting Advent a week early, like everybody's playing Christmas music before Thanksgiving. But I think in a year like this year, I think that we're allowed. Yes. So um, I'm drinking the Kalila. I love the smoke. I like. I had an eight year old Kalila in Malcolm Geit's house. Actually, actually, this is hilarious. Hmm. Um, let's see. It's 2027 years ago today. I was in England for the 50th anniversary of. Lewis's death. And that was the day they placed the memorial stone for Lewis in Westminster Abbey at, at Poets Corner. And that night, uh, we drove to Cambridge and I was invited by Malcolm Guy to stay at his house. And then he poured me a little uh, tulip glass of Kalila, uh, I think it was eight year old. Um, and it was, uh, it was quite nice. So mm -hmm. I know that we're tasting of somebody else, but my first sip has got to be in honor of Malcolm of those seven years ago. Mm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oily, but smooth. Oh, man. I don't even think it needs any water. Mm. So, yep. Well, shall I do the Patreon toast? Let's do the Patreon toast. This was going to be a fun one. It's going to be short, sweet, but profound. So we actually just had a, uh, a new high-level Patreon supporter, Jeff Booth, who mm. we did our call with. So had a phone conversation, chatted with him, video chat, and... Uh, it was one of the loveliest conversations. He was just such a wonderful person. He's got such an energy and a spirit to him. And so he had a six expression thing that he would say for a prayer. And so I mm -hmm. wanted to use that as a toast, except I had to tailor it slightly for a toast rather than the way he said it as a prayer for yourself. So Jeff, not you, but Christ through you. Amen. Cheers. To Jeff, to Christ. I will remember that. It's a prayer. Not me, but you through me. Yes, mm. absolutely. So the chapter summary here, uh, we had a nice little longer pre-chit chat, but we think this episode will be more direct and, and short. So we have a little wiggle room this time. Okay, so here's the 100-word summary. The patient has made new friends who are rich, skeptical, and superficially intellectual. Screwtape says any open acknowledgement of the conflict between their respective worldviews must be postponed as long as possible. Since the church has failed to prepare him adequately, in the meantime, he'll adapt, adopt many of their attitudes. When he eventually realizes the conflict, Screwtape offers three strategies. One, have him only remember this in their absence. 
Two, have him take pleasure in the incongruity. And three, have him imagine he's doing them some good somehow. And then he signs off with instructions to encourage excess spending and neglect of work and mother. Mmm. Mmm. You know who this reminds me of? What? Or who? Mark Stuttick. This is Mark Stuttick from That Hideous Strength, where he knows that he's kind of not on the inside, but he's acting as if he's on the inside. And there's all this thing about drinking with them and overspending himself and just being completely insincere. So if you've read That Hideous Strength, uh, Mark Stuttick, who, as, as he works for the nice, uh, yeah, he, I think that Lewis may have had this passage in mind as he wrote Mark right around the same time. Good reference. One thing I wanted to note before we jumped into the chapter. Sure. I don't think that it's coincidental, the ordering of the different letters, meaning that they're meant to be just completely mutually exclusive. I do believe there's some sort of building progression. And I wanted to note that the last letter, the last two letters were about the law of undulation. And so we have a patient who was on a spiritual high, converted to Christianity, and this has been about being more in a trough period, and that's what we were talking about in letter eight and nine, in the tools that the enemy and our Heavenly Father uses to, the Heavenly Father, to pull you into good behavior from that, to sainthood, and a lot, as we talked about in the previous episodes, a lot of his friends, meaning God's friends, go through trough periods, because that's what can turn mm-hmm. into saints, but also it can be very dangerous. And so I think in this conversation that that can be helpful to know that he might still be in a bit of a trough period right now. And when you're in a trough period, you're not feeling very great. You're not feeling a lot of joy. Um, You might be struggling in some areas. And so friendships, loneliness, there there could be some of that. I could be reading a little bit too much into this, but as as we're going to talk about friends here and seeking out friends and some validation can sometimes happen in friendships. And I think there's some of that at play here, potentially. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, not to not to bring it, bring up more of the space trilogy, but to bring up more of the space <laughs> trilogy, I hadn't really thought about it now. So let me remind our listeners that the law of undula- undulation means a wave, right? Mm-hmm. It comes from the Latin word, which means kind of a wave, a wave like going up and down. And so he says that the law of undulations, the only consistency is that we have these inconsistencies, mm-hmm. Right that it's inconsistent. Sometimes we're high, sometimes we're low. And that law of undulations is the law of our lives. Uh, Later on, years later, he talks about in letters to Malcolm. And he says, you know, I have to be careful with silent prayer, the prayer of no words, um, because I can't always achieve it. In fact, I can seldom achieve it. And I need to avoid the frustration, the error of stoicism, he, he, he calls it, to believe that I can always do what I can sometimes do. And so I think that that's great. When I'm at my at my peak, you know, I, I I need to realize that my strengths are different than when I'm in a trough. And so Lewis talks about peaks and troughs. And of course, this reminds me of Ransom on the seas of Paralandra, right? On those islands going up and down, up and down. Mm-hmm. And maybe even Paralandra is a, is a symbol of the, the way that we live this Christian life. Well, so this chapter starts out, as we've already alluded to in the beginning of this, and just now here, it's about friendship. So the screw tape is writing that he hears good news that the patient has met a new middle-aged married couple who are rich, smart, superficially intellectual, and brightly skeptical about everything in the world. I love that phrase, brightly skeptical. (laughs) Do you know people like that? Um, I worry sometimes I could be. No. (laughs) I tend to be the opposite, actually. I'm more the eternal optimist, which can sometimes get you in trouble, too. If I remember in some previous letters, Screwtape goes, if you're the optimist, here's what we're going to do to you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes that just makes me question my own faith when I meet these people who are just bluff and and look like they've got it all together, and they just kind of dismiss out of hand all the claims of Christianity in this kind of knowing way. And it's like, wow, you're probably right. I mean, I tend to follow those people. And I think that's what Mm -hmm. our patient kind of falls for too. There's something, I don't know what it is, but there is something appealing sometimes about that. And it might be the contrarian nature or thinking differently. Sometimes that skepticism seems to come across as intellectual and smart, which is why I think he phrased it exactly that way. You meet those individuals Mm -hmm. and we do somewhat, we, we like to blend in with a crowd, but we also like to think we're different. And so I think rightly skeptical can sometimes lend to a false belief there. 
Yeah, it reminds me of that that uh, Phil, uh, that Steve Taylor song um, from his album years ago now, thirty years ago, um, called "It's Harder to Believe Than Not To." Oh. Um, and it just they make it look so easy. It reminds me of the Psalm too, where you know it looks like the unrighteous are prospering. Uh, and and I was in despair until I went into the house of the Lord. And this is what's happening. I mean, Screwtape is showing us what it looks like when we kind of uh, see the apparent prosperity of the unrighteous and see things through earthly eyes rather than take it from a heavenly perspective. And that yank on the chain, that yank on the rein to, to, to look to, through God's eyes is, I think, what this whole book is about. And in many ways, Lewis's whole career. And I got this sense, I'm glad you said that, because I get this sense... It doesn't actually say this in the first paragraph or even the second paragraph, but as you read later on, what's also appealing about this is the earthly pleasures they're experiencing together. And so by being mm-hmm. rich, they might be going to, he doesn't explicitly say these things, but when he says he overspends, I'm assuming maybe they go to some fancy shows, maybe they go to a fancy dinner, maybe mm-hmm. they go on a fancy trip. You know, these are speculations, but that point is when you're the, the wealthy couple he's attracted to, it lends to a false sense of joy or satisfaction. There is a temptation in that pleasure. And so I got that sense from the letter that that's what's somewhat happening here. Well, and it goes back to that wonderful principle. And I'm so glad to be working on this podcast this this year because it reminds me really helpfully that the devil will trade one sin for another. So let him be chaste, but make him proud of his chastity. Um, the, the, the patient here probably has some good motives in trying to befriend them and, and share, some, share some goodness with them, but it makes him spendthrifty, right? It makes him incautious with money, and he's committing a sin of not stewarding his money well mm-hmm. in order to do something better. And so you know, I need to be on alert that the devil will very often try to get me to do something ungodly for godly purposes, right? And he's always kind of playing that bait and switch with us. And it is tempting, to say the least. So we have the patient with these new friends. And so what screw tape desires in this circumstance of these people with different values that are somewhat opposed to the Christian value system, what his first desire to get out of this is a level of commitment, to their worldview or to their livelihood or to the way they're living. And I like what he says here. He goes, there's a subtle play of looks and tones and laughs by which a mortal can imply that he is of the same party as those to whom he is speaking. That is the kind of betrayal you should specifically or especially encourage because the man does not fully realize it himself. And by the time he does, you have made withdrawal difficult. That's just so, I mean, the diagnosis of what we do when we nod and go along, Mm because it's embarrassing to be a believer in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. It's embarrassing to be a Christian. And, you know, it's harder to believe than not to. And so to kind of nod and go along and not want to make waves and not want to fulfill all of the stereotypes that people might have of us, closed-minded, whatever, whatever, you know, and Certainly, we don't need to be standing up on a soapbox, you know, clothed in camel in camel hair and, and, you know, eating locusts every day to try to make our point. And I've certainly been that obnoxious Christian uh, in the past. And so there's a certain amount of tolerance, but where, do, where does tolerance lead to compromise? And it's particularly hard for me anyway, because there are a lot of ways in which I don't want to speak up for Christ. It's embarrassing right? To be what St. Paul calls the, a fool for Christ. You know, I have to check my ego at the door and I've got a raging ego and it doesn't want to be checked, you know? And so I'll yeah, pause for a moment of surprise amongst all the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but this idea that I, you know, when, when do I need to say, stop, hey, no, this isn't, this isn't righteous. And when do I need to bring up righteousness when everybody's, you know, laughing along, you know, in, with such a superior tone? And it is a hard balance. And I can't wait till when yeah. we get to the end of this to attempt to potentially have a little bit of conversation and offer some insights on it. Sure. Absolutely. So what do we do? Well, so of course, and as Scrutate points this out, the enemy is not going to let this person sit in this state, the patient, because our Heavenly Father is trying to constantly come to our side. There are two sides to this. Now we're getting one side of it. So the first thing Screwtape wants to do though, 
is to postpone any realization that these values are even in opposition to the Christian values. You could you can be there and subtly making that commitment, subtly giving in, but you're not actually realizing that this is going directly against your core values. And so that is the first attempt. And I thought the quote here was interesting because he goes, I don't think that matters much provided that you can persuade him to postpone any acknowledgement of the fact. But what mm-hmm. he goes on to say is he says it's because of shame, pride, modesty, modesty, and vanity. So I'm curious why you think that shame, pride, modesty, and van- modesty and vanity are the things that prevent us from even acknowledging this. Like, what is it about those? Yeah, no. Well, and it gets back. Um, I was warned a couple of weeks ago by Diana Glyer uh, when we were doing a session at Northwind Seminary mm. uh, to beware of a taxonomy. Beware of this kind of system of truths, because when you try to apply it everywhere, it can overshadow when other things are going on. But I think that it's true and not taxonomic, as you were about to say, um, <laughs> that Lewis constantly kind of is interested in the challenge of self versus God, mm-hmm. right? Self versus love. And, you know, I've talked exhaustively about that, about turning away from self is the turning towards love. And so shame, pride, modesty, and vanity, right, is all me thinking about myself, which is I can do precious little about, and we all know when we try to change ourselves, there's so little we can actually do about it. But far less, these are things where I'm concerned with some what somebody else thinks about me, and I can't control that at all. But I think I'm incredibly powerful over that. And all of this turns into this kind of inward labyrinthine kind of conundrum of me focusing on me and what everybody else thinks of me. And, you know, isn't it in in Magician's Nephew when Lucy's reading the great book where Aslan says, if you really knew, if you really understood how little people think about you, Lucy, you'd probably be far less concerned about it. And so it's this inward turning about my own reputation my own wounded pride, rather than this outward concern. And that's where he's got his patient wound up. And, uh, you know, we grin because that looks so familiar, I think, to all of us. So if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're saying is that shame, that pride, that woundedness prevents us from even wanting to have the self-awareness that would put us in opposition to those friend groups because we want to... be accepted in those circumstances. We're thinking about ourselves, how we're feeling, how we're what we are. Sure. We're not thinking about okay, what's truth? What's because because if they were actually to stand up to that, that could push the friendships away. It's that old phrase: "Enough about me. What do you think about me?" <laughs> I've never heard that before. Oh no, 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 no! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, all of my friends know that. And enough about me. What do you think about me? Um, but what Christ wants us to do is to forget ourselves. Mm. You know, and he he says uh, it's in it's in the second best book by Lewis. It's in your favorite. You know, we don't think about ourselves; we think only of Christ, right? So there's this constant turning from me to Christ. But that's the way that the that the seed of Christ's image gets planted in my soul. And as I tend to that seed of turning, not thinking of me, but thinking only of Christ, that's in some ways how Christ cultivates his self, himself, and his image within me. Um, And the enemy really doesn't want us to be at all like Christ. And so he wants to keep us from looking towards him and keep us looking at ourselves, or if not about ourselves, what other people think about us. Mm. And it just, that turns into this kind of cul-de-sac of of self-referentiality, which is just deathly. Well, this next part also gets to what's going to happen if he does this. So if the patient lacks the acknowledgement at first, so they're, they're successful with that. Here's what Lewis writes. He will be silent when he ought to speak and laugh when he ought to be silent. He will assume at first only by his manner, but presently by his words, all sorts of cynical and skeptical attitudes, which are not really his. All mortals tend to turn into the thing they are pretending to be. Yeah. Now, if I had picked a quote from the letter, that would be it. (laughs) All mortals tend to turn into the thing they are pretending to be. Remember what Edmund's problem was early on? He was tired and pretending not to be tired. And one of the things that leads Edmund away is this falsity of self. You look at the way that Edmund was pretending 
in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He was faking it, right? He adopts this superior adult tone. Oh, well, children these days, they're always making things up about Lucy, who's like two years younger than he is. So this pretending, this falseness of self um, is, is crucial. And But the flip of that, and remember, Lewis always takes the evil and flips them right side up so that we can profit from them. The flip of that is in mere Christianity, where he says, don't bother if you love somebody, act as if you did. And what happens is when you begin acting as if you loved somebody, you will presently come to find that you love him Mm. or her right? I experienced this in my own life. There was somebody um, in my life that I had some issue with. I don't even think they were aware of how much issue I had with them. And I begun, like Lewis said, to wish that the black were even blacker, right? To rejoice when they were, when they tripped it up, tripped up um, and to, to, to exalt their shortcomings and to minimize their strengths. And a couple of people really confronted me about this. And I began to pretend like I loved that person. And I thought, okay, what would I do if I loved them? Mm-hmm. And now let me just go ahead and do that. And now almost all of that nascent, well, we talked about it in church today. We talked about roots of bitterness. It's, it's tiny hatred right? It's the seeds of hatred. And I had been allowing myself to be cynical and and sarcastic about this person. And once I pretended like I loved them, the genuine affection towards them has grown in the last couple of weeks. Thanks be to God. I wouldn't have known how to do that Mm. if it hadn't been for Lewis and the Council of Good and Loving Friends. And I think that thanks be to God, there's a lot of wisdom in that statement alone because there are some people in my life that I need to do that with, but my pride prevents me. Because that's almost like you feel like if you all start treating them with love, you, at least this is what your ego says. You are two things either happen. You're almost giving into the things that hurt you. You're almost recognizing that those weren't a big deal. And your ego wants the, the recognition that they were a big deal. Mm-hmm. Or because of, and this is sometimes tough, but this is where you need God's grace again. This is why I thought the thanks be to God was profound. You're also afraid this can also lead to like a deep relationship, which you feel you're going to get hurt again. And so mm-hmm. that sometimes prevents it. So it's very hard to do that without God's grace. So I love that you said, thanks be to God. Well, absolutely. Remember that the royal commandments are to love God and to love our neighbor as, as ourselves. And we love ourselves because he first loves us. So that's the kind of the biblical rule, our, our great task. And as I get older and older, I'll turn 55 next month. The great task for me is to grapple with the fact that God really loves me beyond all measure. And then to respond to that by loving God back. And then also by loving my neighbors as myself. Jesus, and, and, and James calls this the royal commandment. And so to do that requires this kind of element of self-forgetfulness that Screwtape is here really trying to get his patient not to participate in. Mm, I like that. Well, one thought I had when we're going through this is how can the patient fail to recognize what's going on in these circumstances? And I thought it was interesting how Screwtape and Lewis Screwtape points this out because this isn't a great circumstance for the patient to be in. And here's what he says. The church said very little about the world for the last few decades. In modern Christian writings, I see few of the old warnings about worldly vanities, the choice of friends, and the value of time. And it's not in this quote, but he later mentions it's talked a lot more about Manon, which when I looked it up, referred to the God of wealth or covetedness. And so he's down in his trust period and he hasn't been taught to realize worldly vanities, the choice of your friends, the value of times. These are temptations. And we don't, we're not taught that enough. Absolutely. And if there really is an enemy, he wants to divert our attention. Malcolm Geith has this wonderful poem called I Ode, I O D E. Hmm. And it's an ode that he writes about his phone and he writes it on his phone. And then he reads the poem. You can find it on his blog and he records it on his phone. Right. And so he says to his phone, What will I make of you or you of me? Right? There's always something trying to yank me away from seeing somebody as created in the image of God and somebody else as beloved as I am. We just went through an election where both sides had more votes 
than President Obama had. And they were relatively close in number. There were over 70 million on each side. And there are people who are tearing themselves apart because they forget that most people or tons of people voted in a different way than they voted and see the world differently. And what God wants, what the enemy wants us to do is to be thinking about ourselves and thinking about our circle of friends and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and forgetting that every single person is deeply beloved of God. And if we forget that, the enemy can really start, uh, start to go to work and to plant seeds in us that will bloom into, into flowers of hatefulness. Mm. It's a te- it's, it is one of the toughest things. That's why I try to somewhat stay out of politics, because it brings bitterness sure. really quickly into my heart towards other people. And so I try to read as minimal as I can to still know enough for work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that if we busy ourselves um, with rendering unto God, um, we won't have to worry all that much about rendering unto Caesar. <laughs> Way to connect it. If I give God my duty, you know, and that's love. And this is not pie in the sky, you know, flowers in rifle barrels. This is the real hard work of the kingdom. To love God means to forget myself. To love God for me means to prefer my wife in place of myself. And she can attest, you know, how how seldom I do that and how poorly I do that. Mm -hmm. But this constant habit of turning from self towards others, you know, for their sake. And that's where he's got his patient all wound up. He's kind of gotten to the point where he's worried about how he'll come across to his Mm -hmm. so-called friends. And it's really put him in a, in a spiritually dangerous position. And I think that we are, we do well to kind of keep in mind, you know, and beware of, of the enemy trying to do that to us in, in our own day. Well, and when you care so much what others think about you, this next part of the letter talked about Puritanism. And so some of these values that are beautiful values, temperance, chastity, sobriety of life, things he's probably getting questioned or um, uh, challenged by these new friendships with these rich people who probably don't have a great temperance or sobriety of life, it gets belittled to, oh, that's just Puritanism. And I love how Scrutay points out that was like a big win for them. And I can relate to that today. I'll talk about values from a chastity perspective, from a temperance, and people are, will genuinely give you a look and you know they're giving you a look like, oh my goodness, it's just puritanical, really? Yeah, but you know, remember that Lewis says the challenge of the critical mind is not to praise or dispraise, but to define and describe. Mm. And the Puritans were, some, were people who were so suspicious of the sins of organized religion that they wanted to cross the ocean in order to find a place where they could seek God with all the purity of their heart. And so Puritanism is how Screwtape wants to caricature all of these things. And he wants to paint their virtues with a bad brush. But what the Lord wants us to do is to look and go, well, wait a minute, the core, the, the spiritual core, intended core anyway, of Puritanism was purity. And the enemy wants us to only associate those great values you were talking about with Puritanism, but we need to pull it back into purity. And for me, that, that's hand-to-hand combat every day with the enemy. Purity of heart. It's what my prayer tends yep. to be a lot about, and that just means in every sense of the word, purity of heart towards other people, purity of heart towards worldly desires, purity of heart towards temptations, just purely desiring God and love and it is tough. You know, Kierkegaard said that purity of heart means to will one thing. I have that book. And what is the what do we will? And if what I will, what my will is, is that he must increase and I must decrease, as St. John the Baptist said, then that will start to soak in like a baptism, right? It'll mm-hmm. soak into our skin uh, like being dipped in 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 dye of the heavenly uh, uh, of of a heavenly color, and that's what Screw Tape wants to keep us from doing. Mm, what a great word! Well, the patient is going to eventually realize that this is an opposition to him. So that was the first tactic. Don't even let him realize it. We talked about how. Now, what is Screw Tape? Of course, is going to be prepared. What is he going to do when the patient actually does realize it? And of course, there's a battle plan ready. And he's interesting. He starts out with his first thing. He goes, this is pretty rough. 
if he is a big enough fool, you can get him to realize the character of the friends only while they are absent. Their presence can be made to sweep away all criticism. If this succeeds, he can be induced to live for quite long periods, two parallel lives. Oof, two parallel lives. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous spot to be in because you are you have two parts of yourself competing. You're living in authentically. You're definitely not living purity of heart. You're not willing one thing probably. Um, that's a tough spot to be in. Well, and here's where that wonderful Greek word comes in. Um, the word uh, is hypocrite, but a hypocrite was an actor on stage. So remember your ninth grade civics. Remember um, reading about the ancient Greece and the amphitheaters and way down on stage. And so the actors would wear these great big masks that would not only exaggerate their features so that you knew who they were as a character, but they would also amplify their voice. And so to be two-faced, you know, to be a hypocrite is to be an actor, right? I'm pretending to be somebody that I'm not in order to impress somebody else. And so I think that that's kind of what he's talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, be one person in this situation and be another person in that situation. And there's a great temptation in that. And that for me, that usually comes when I'm more concerned with myself. And more often than not, the days that happen uh, are the days where I haven't taken care of myself devotionally. I may not have read my Bible that day as I try to every day. I may not have spent time in prayer. I may not have been constant in prayer throughout the day. And pretty soon, once once I uh, you know once I've allowed those those good habits you know to fall aside, it's really easy to speak out of both sides of my mouth. And that's why in mere, in mere Christianity, Lewis says we must train the habit of faith. We should have the truths of uh, of Christianity before our eyes every day because it's really, really, really easy for me to get off the path and to be insincere. And insincerity, I think, quickly leads to impurity, and that's what's happening with our patient. Mm-hmm. It goes back to what you mentioned earlier, the fake it till you make it. You, you will become what you pretend. That's all the same thing. So if you think you can compartmentalize that one side of your life, it's not going to happen. It's inf- impacting yeah. you. And if it starts to grow, heavenly and hellish creatures, you better be careful. The development of virtue and the development of vice happen in the same way. And this is another model from your Christianity. When an action is repeated, it becomes habit. Mm-hmm. When a habit is repeated, it becomes virtue, but it also becomes vice. Mm-hmm. And so what we see is that the, our patient is going to these cocktail parties and he's kind of doing these actions that are insincere to, to the point that he becomes they become habitual. And what Screwtape wants is for him to become an insincere person, right? And to keep him unmindful of the fact that he's doing this. And so that's why part of why this letter is such a good and really embarrassingly convicting letter. Uh-huh. Screwtape then goes on to say, if you're not doing the method that we just talked about that makes it that he is standing in both sides, the next thing he can do is have him enjoy the incongruity. So have him essentially take pleasure in the fact that he's in both sides and they're inconsistent. And it's almost this idea that you take pleasure in you're a complex person. And we've all been there. Oh, you know what? I can be a part of both groups. I'm a good Christian person, but I can also be a part of the world in a unique way. You can very Mm -hmm. easily start taking a pride, almost I think of your horse trading there, uh, of, of, oh, I've been able to be able to navigate two different realms, but then you become incredibly prideful and arrogant. I am not going to mention any names, (laughs) but in the news this year, there have been a number of nationally known religious figures who got too close to the world and who were living in both of these camps and who have fallen. And the enemy is just, you know, screw tape has been actively at work. And if he's at work with them, he's going to be at work with us too. Mm. I'm curious your thoughts. He says this in a quote here. When he's in these two different camps, he goes, you see the idea, the worldly friends touch him on one side and the grocer on the other. And he is the complete balanced, complex man who sees round them all. Thus, and here's what I'm curious your thoughts on, while being permanently treacherous to at least two sets of people, he will feel instead of shame, a continual undercurrent of self-satisfaction. 
Why do you think he says treacherous to two sets of people? So let's say you're in both camps. I'm assuming he's saying by being in the camp that he's like the good camp and then with with the grocer putting his kneeling at church and then the camp of these worldly mm-hmm. friends. Why is he treacherous to both? Is it the inauthenticity that makes him kind of worthless to either? So the word treachery comes from traditore, hmm. and it means to hand over, right? To betray. And it's what Judas did. He handed him over. And so... He's being treacherous. He's handing the grocer what the grocer wants because he's so simple. And he's handing these worldly wise people what the worldly wise people want. But he knows that the grocer and the worldly wise people would never be in the room together. And so he's not really being sincerely himself at all. And and, and I mean, I, you know, I, I hesitate even to speak it because I'm so guilty of this. But to be to not betray would be to be concerned to love the grocer sincerely and to love the friends sincerely. And to love the grocer may be, you know, let me do what I can to see what I can do to help or even to learn from and to imitate the purity of the grocer. And let me see what I can do to stand up against this kind of worldly cynicism, cynical, too smart by half. There's an insincerity. There's a disbelief in something as bald and bold as love that's going on in these, uh, in these cynical people. And I'm never really being who I really am. Mm. Right. Um, and, and Malcolm talks about it in IO too, you know, and never, he says, I'm half present in a hundred places, but never fully present in the place I am. Right. It's like being with somebody who's talking to you while you're scrolling on your phone. I'm appearing to be engaged, but I'm really selfishly doing whatever it is that I want. And I'm guilty of this. I was guilty of this last night. And so it's this betrayal of this obligation to be fully present. And you think about the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, right? Full stop. Mm. When somebody comes up, my obligation is to see them and to embrace them. Rowan Williams says that he asks himself whenever he meets the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he says, when I meet somebody, I ask myself two questions. What can I learn from them and how can I love them? Mm. The first is humility of self. And the second is the humility or the channel of God. And how seldom do I encounter these social situations intended to serve that person and to make Christ known. Is is the patient really doing that in all these cocktail parties? No, I think he's pretty proud of himself for having kind of gotten through. And to me, that's kind of treachery and betrayal. Mm, I like that. Final thing Screwtape points out is if all else fails, so you can't get him to forget about it. You, he notices it. He acknowledges it. Um, you can't get him to take pride in it. You can't get him to be in both camps. All else fails. You can persuade him in defiance of conscience to continue the new acquaintances on the grounds that he is in some unspecified way doing these people good by the mere fact of drinking their cocktails and laughing at their jokes and that to cease to do so would be priggish, intolerant, and of course, puritanical. In the margin of my book, I wrote missionary dating, (laughs) right? Let me just by my mere presence as a Christian, you know, and, and, you know, as a, as a future minister, man, this is a, this is a challenge, you know, and uh, to, to, to navigate in society, right? Is that can be certainly a real issue, you know, this two-facedness. In the last thing in this chapter, he says, there's some hopeful side effects to all of this. Meanwhile, you will, of course, take the obvious precaution of seeing that this new development induces him to spend more than he can afford and to neglect his work and his mother. Her jealousy and alarm and his increasing evasiveness or rudeness will be invaluable for the aggravation of the domestic tension. So there's other side effects that come from this. He, he, Screwtape is very masterful in thinking about all of the different areas. There's the direct effects of the relationships and then the soul. And then there's how is this going to impact other people, his career, his work ethic, and then ultimately how can we get him in those areas? Absolutely. And we have these obligations, right? He's so concerned about his, you know, his high society cynical friends that he neglects his mother, 
And that's one of the great commandments, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. And certainly, you know, there's perhaps, um, perhaps he's a little deluded about how much light he's shedding on, on these, but he's neglecting the commandment, honor your father and mother because you will enjoy long life by doing so. Mm -hmm. And so that's what Screwtape wants. He wants us to, and it's, it's encapsulated in Lewis's wonderful essay, First and Second Things, right? And the summary of that essay is the enemy wants us to put second things in the place of first things, right? Love for God, love for neighbor is a first thing. Being, you know, having a political conscience and being a good American and being a good neighbor, these are important things. But to put those above loving God and loving neighbor, you know, he wants us to get that flip. And so mm -hmm. what happens is Screwtape has his patient falling for a second thing and putting it in the place of the first thing. He's superficially loving these friends. I'd question whether he really loves them at all, but it's at the cost of loving his mother. And here we have that Screwtapian thing again. Let him commit a minor uh, virtue while committing a major sin, mm. you know, a major vice. And I, I love Lewis for kind of showing us how this happens so often in our own lives. Well, now I'm going to have to read that essay. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> First and second, it's not very long and it's really, it's another one of those super helpful principles, you know, about Lewis. And, and one of the, I think it's really helpful in the time of pandemic, right? First and second things. What are the first things that are things that we should most be concerned with? Um, and that usually is going to be God-shaped and love-shaped. I love that. Well, that's the end of the chapter. Shall we jump into unscrewing screw tape? Let's do that. All right. So... I'll start with the first one here. I, I'm trying to keep it a little tighter here, so I only have three. So my first do, do be conscious and intentional of who you spend the most time with. And that's just because we're the average of the people we spend the most time with. And it's important to be intentional with that. Say more about that. You've said that to me before, and I love that in private conversation. Yeah, I, uh, I look back at my life, and one of my greatest blessings, I would say, that I just, thanks be to God, to one of those moments is that... I never, as much as I was lonely at certain points in life, in high school and in college, I never settled for friendships that weren't edifying. Friendships mm -hmm. of people that didn't, we weren't building each other up. And I notice a lot in life that people will, you go to a new city and you're lonely and you just want friends just to fill that void. But those friends can be dangerous sometimes if they aren't building you up in certain ways. And it doesn't mean identical values, of course, but it's, it's a lot of those first principles of treating people good and being intentional and kindness and compassion. At core, those should be there in the friendships. And so psychology tells us you become very similar to your circumstances. Your circumstances impact you. That means your friendships too. So, Well, and you said something really striking when we were chatting before the letter that you are kind of a, that every person is kind of a composite, composite of the five people they spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. And to realize it's what St. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 16, I believe. He says, redeem the time for the days are evil, right? These are not neutral days, right? I've, the, the thing that, that convinced me to be, at least in my own mind, politically more active as a Christian, just to have a voice in my society is what I really mean, is that it's not as if it's a moral void, that there are moralities being imposed and I want to do what I can to impose the morality of the kingdom. And I'm not going to talk about any political specifics. I'm not at all qualified to do that. But the morality of, of the kingdom is the morality of love for God and love for neighbor, right? And so I need to be mindful of the time that I'm spending and who I'm spending that time with. Our times are in his hands, it says, and that time belongs to God. And so I need to be to unscrew screw tape. I would have uh, have myself and have our listeners spend some time thinking about who I'm spending time with and how those choices are, making sure those choices are deliberate and deliberate in terms of spreading the sowing the seeds of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Well said. What's another way that we can that we can do this? I thought don't live two separate lives. It's simple, but what I mean by that is almost. We, we live separate lives because we're not setting boundaries and living authentically. I think setting boundaries, that's a way that you don't live separate lives. So if there's certain non-negotiables to me and my values and my core beliefs, don't negotiate those in relationships. 
of course, if you're meeting someone one-off, those are different circumstances. But if you're in a friendship and someone's saying something contrary to your beliefs, rather than living a separate life and just nodding your head and shaking your head and saying, yeah, charitably set up the boundary, say, you know, I, I disagree with that. And here's why. And as scripture says in Ephesians, speak truth. I'm paraphrasing again, but it's in the second half of Ephesians where it's like, speak truth or go, if someone's going against truth, go against it, but do it charitably. And that was a very important thing. And so don't live separate lives, be yourself, be authentic, set boundaries on your values, don't compromise, um, but do it charitably, graciously. Uh, and I mean, keep going back to mere Christianity. It's probably worth just rebroadcasting the mere Christianity uh, season one. Um, I say we re-record them with you. Let's do it. <laughs> let's. I'm up for it. Um, Lewis says that how something to the effect of you know what happens when you catch a man off his guard um, tells you very much about him, right? When you turn on the lights in the cellar, what rats are there, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, to do my best to live as sincerely. Uh, when I'm being viewed in the public as when I am in, in private. Lewis, I think it's in Four Loves where he talks about the minister and, you know, he preaches beautifully, but at home he's very short with his family, you know, and as a future priest, I want to make sure that I'm loving my wife and treating her with care when nobody's looking. It's that old story of, you know, looking at the out the window at, at church after afterwards and the, seeing the old couple uh, and it's the last car in the parking lot and the mm-hmm. pastor looks down and he sees... Uh, the man opening the door for his wife mm. when nobody else is around and nobody can see, right? How am I treating people in privately and to how to integrate the person that I aspire to be with the person that I actually am? That's the great struggle, I think. Mm. How about one more? Well, this last one is going to be based on the quote, and that's why I wanted to finish with this. Mm. Don't be silent when you should speak and laugh when you should be silent. And I like this. And that's obviously very much easier said than done. But my encouragement would be when you form spiritually, you spend time in the word, you let Christ come into you, you let the spirit fill you up, you let truth transform your minds and love transform, renew your heart. You will in those moments get better at threading that needle properly. Mm-hmm. And it'll never be perfect on this side because we're never in perfect communion with God's will until we are in heaven. And so knowing that we won't be perfect, have a little grace, but I think attempt to do that as best as you can. You know, I really, I love this. And, and in that kind of typically Lewisian way, I want to flip all of those concepts that are in this quote that I'm so glad that you chose. Um, Silence, uh, silence has two sides, right? And so be silent when you should be silent, right? Um, It's worth, it's worth being silent before God. Um, it's worth speaking, uh, listening carefully to somebody else who's, who speaks, you know, whose speech we should, we deserves a hearing. And so silences can be a really great thing. Speech can also be a really great thing. You know, it's, it doesn't, I don't think screw tape means be, be silent at all or, or, or speak. Um, but I think one of the great things, and it's what I've heard about Lewis and, um, And I heard it from Douglas Gresham. He said, the thing that biographers most often miss is the consistent sound of laughter in Lewis's home. And um, it reminds me of that that Chesterton quote. He said, the reason that angels can fly is because they take themselves so lightly. Right? Mm. And laughter, I think, characterizing Lewis's life, especially given all the tragedies and troubles that he faced, you know, to have this kind of lighthearted look at the world, not Pollyanna, but Jesus said, uh, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And Paul, who had suffered so much, calls the entire total of all of our suffering, calls it this light and momentary affliction. And we know that it is God who works in us. And so let that laughter, you know, take its proper place that, that, you know, he has overcome the world and we can live in that overcoming. Oftentimes if I'm taking things far too seriously, or if I'm speaking when I shouldn't or silent when I should speak up, it's usually because I've been listening to uh, another voice than that one voice Mm -hmm. that really encourages us the most. Mm. I like how you finished that listening to another voice. Mm. Well done. Well, that's that is it for the letter. Let's bring this to a close. And so we want to remind you guys to go check out the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Pints with Jack are the handles. If you 
yeah, at Facebook, if you really enjoy these, we would love for you guys to leave a review, whatever it would be. And uh, if it's not five star, definitely write why it's not. <laughs> We've had a couple like threes and fours, and I'm always like, oh, what could we do to be better? Um, but usually, people who do that don't actually write why <laughs> they give they give the star. <laughs> and we're not we're not doing this for the reviews, but we certainly want to have great contact with our uh, with our listeners. We have it on our Slack channel and 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 elsewhere, uh, our watch parties, everything else. Um, and we do want to make this podcast serviceable to you as well as create fun for us, as I hope it obviously is. Yes. And we want to thank all of our top tier subscribers, Jeff, Chris, John, Kate, Rowdy. You guys are fantastic. Uh, We have multiple levels of them. So if you're the silver level or above, you can join the Slack community, which just continues to grow every month with more people. I love those conversations. They're so edifying. So thank you guys, everyone, a part of that community. Well, and I owe that community a real mea culpa. I haven't gone to the watch parties yet. And, uh, and I, wasn't there a watch party the other night? And, you know, I, I didn't show up, but I was, a uh, I was somehow present. Oh, I was going to call you out on that in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're watching the performing arts and there's a YouTube live stream and there's a commenting and I see Andrew Lazo commenting and I'm like, what is he doing there? But not in our Google meet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to admit, here's what happened. Um, it was Jerry Root, my dear friend from uh, from from Wade, the Wade Center Wheaton College, uh, talking about Dimer and Splendor in the Dark. And I wanted to get a question because it has to do with Till We Have Faces. And he and I regularly, every time I'm there, we have these great fights and arguments and discussions about Till We Have Faces. But I had that down really low because I was supposed to be writing. I was actually writing a paper for my history of, a, of the Episcopal Church class. And so uh, I wanted to, to dig in, but I was actually getting a paper done before midnight that night. And so I was multitasking uh, as best I could. So I, uh, I look forward to hanging out with the Slackers the next time we have a watch party. We will have grace this time for that reason. <laughs> well, great. on that note, listeners, please join us next time when we're going to be going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.